Let's look at Ephesians 5 this morning. Ephesians 5. I'm not going to preach verse by verse, but I have a little series on the family that I like to go back through from time to time, and I'm going to take uh, opportunities here as I'm able to, to preach on a couple of these this morning on a Christ-honoring marriage. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 21, we'll read down through the end of the chapter. If you'll stand with me uh, together, Ephesians 5, verse 21 through 33, every one of us should want our marriages to honor God. If you're not married yet, you should look forward to marriage, and when you get married, you should want your marriage to display the glory of God. And that's what Paul is writing about here in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 21. These are the words of God. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at an issue that is very personal to many of us here in this room, I pray that you would use the word of God to instruct us and guide us and help us. And Lord, I pray that all of us, all of us, would be concerned about marriage for the unmarried here, especially our young people who are looking ahead to marriage, I pray that you would give them an understanding of what exactly they're looking forward to and an understanding of what the great duty is in marriage. Lord, for the older folks here who have lost a spouse, who are now by themselves, I pray that you would Help them that they would also understand the point of marriage and that they would be an encouragement and help that they would strengthen and sustain and that they would pray for the married couples in this room. And Lord, if they still are able to be married, I pray that you would provide them with a spouse. And Lord, for all the married couples in this room, I pray that you would help them, everyone, that they would give careful attention to the word of God and that they would evaluate their own home and marriage in light of what your word is saying. And I pray that you would have your will and your way in our homes, that our homes would bring you glory, would show 
what a great God you are and would be a testimony to our neighbors and everywhere we go that our marriages would be preaching every day the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you'd help as the word is preached. Help me, Lord, please, that I would be able to preach clearly and that you would use the word preached to build us as a people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This might be one of the most unpopular passages in all of Scripture. It was unpopular in the day it was written. Paul is one of those, I was talking about this in Sunday school, um, our Jewish guide made it very clear to us his disdain for the Apostle Paul. And I pointed out to him that that's not anything new. He was hated in his day as well, um, which he sees as further evidence of why he should be. Um, but Paul, you know, people will say they love what Jesus says in the Bible. But uh, they just don't love what Paul says because Paul says women are supposed to be subservient to men. Which he doesn't say. Right? He says that wives are to submit to their husbands. That's not the same thing. But that's the way people look at it. <clears throat> Today's generation despises this because it seems to treat women as lesser, inferior. And in Paul's day, it was unpopular because he taught that women mattered. The thought of husbands loving their wives was revolutionary, repugnant to many. The idea of sexual purity was offensive to the Greeks who set up temples of worship that included brothels as part of this worship. So Paul offended his generation by teaching that women were not objects, a means for you to fulfill your lusts, but they mattered. They were to be loved, cherished, honored, and that husbands were to be devoted and faithful to their wives. That was revolutionary. Paul offends our generation by teaching that women are to submit to their husbands, that this is, in fact, the reason they matter. Women matter here. They're to respect their husband. In fact, the 33rd verse says, reverence. Reverence. I, I would pause and ask, ladies, would anyone casually observing your home and your marriage say that's a woman who reverences her husband? Would anyone describe your relationship to your husband that way? Because Paul says the wife is to see that she reverences her husband. Whether in this day or in Paul's, in both cases, the world and the culture always line up on the wrong side of the issue, always get it wrong. This is what we need to understand, and we should not be cowed by the objections of the world. Not only is Ephesians 5 unpopular, but it is also one of the most disregarded passages 
in all of Scripture, and I'm not talking about unbelievers who disregard it. I'm talking about believers who disregard it, particularly ladies who say, I don't need to worry about that. My husband should try to be a better husband, but I don't need to worry about reverencing them. And thus, we see all around us the train wreck of the modern family. Speaking of modern family, there's a very popular TV show. I don't know if it's as popular today as it was a couple years ago, but a very popular TV show, number one for a while, called Modern Family. Uh, it's one of those shows I've seen it, but I have not watched it. Do you know what I mean? I see it, it shows up, I recognize when something is from that, it takes me a minute or two. It's called a mockumentary. And the families in the show are a reflection of families in our day, usually on their second or third marriage, kids from several different marriages in each home, and of course a gay couple. No doubt, we could find many reasons to condemn the show. I would like to point out that the show doesn't really promote something so much as it reflects our modern families. And it is a way, and this is something that you find in TV shows, pretty common theme, that a lot of times we, our sitcoms are designed to give us a release, to to let us laugh at our pain for a little while. And Modern Family invites you to laugh at your pain. Dysfunctional is the new norm. We're so dysfunctional that we almost wouldn't call it dysfunctional anymore. Because when dysfunctional becomes normal, then it's normal, not dysfunctional. But anyway... Rather than repenting before God and reforming our marriages, our culture insists on the dysfunction and views, in fact, families where the husband is the head and the wife is submitting, where the husband is loving his wife and the wife is revering her husband, Views that as something's wrong, something's suspicious. They must be in a cult. That's the way it's viewed now. But our dysfunction is a direct and immediate result of our rejection of God's word and God's authority in our lives. And our innate rebellion against God's authority seeps into our homes, into our marriages, into our families. If God told wives to love their husbands, love your husbands. Wives, love your husbands. If God said that, there would be very little pushback. Wives are not opposed to loving their husbands. If God told husbands to reverence their wives, they wouldn't resent that. We already do that. We, we say these things 
And, and again, I reference something that our guide, our Jewish guide, said repeatedly while we were in Israel. He said he kept saying this that um, women are more spiritual than men. Women are by nature closer to God. That's why he said there are very few commands to women. All the commands are to men because men have to be. And we, we talk this way all the time. Women are more spiritual. Women are superior and, and so on. This is the way we talk about this stuff. <clears throat> Husbands quite often reverence their wives. But God tells wives to reverence their husbands. And husbands, he says, love your wives. That's the command. So if a man, a man might think he's really being great and really being spiritual because he puts his wife up on a pedestal and magnifies her. But that's not what God commands. God commands you to love her. And wives might think that I'm really doing great because, you know, I keep the house clean and I fix the meals and, and I do the laundry and I love it. But that's not what God says. And we must concern ourselves with what God says. And let me just say this right now. It is false. And in fact, it's a way that men flatter women. When we say women are more spiritual, more godly, more closer to God than men are. It's not true. It's not true. I know that's not what you want to hear. I know that I'm not earning brownie points, warm feelings from the ladies. But that's not my job. My job is not to be popular with you. My job is to preach to you and to preach what the word of God says to you. God never intended that we would measure or evaluate ourselves as a competition. Who's the godliest? Who's the closest to God? That's not part of the discussion at all. I'm a sinner. I'm married to a sinner. And together, God has given us a way that we're supposed to navigate life together. As two sinners who are married to each other. My home is not unusual in that because your home is the same way. <clears throat> Because we are sinners, wives naturally resent the leadership of their husbands and husbands naturally defer to their wives. Because of our fallenness, men are very prone to being passive heads of their homes. The default head, but in practice, more like a figurehead. And wives wrestle for control in their homes and marriages, even as they long for their husbands to lead them lovingly. Our rebellion against God causes us to look at Ephesians 5 as if it were demeaning to women. But the dysfunction of our homes, again, is standing there testifying against that view. 
God tells husbands to love their wives, and husbands resent that, and that sounds silly. Why would a husband resent that command? And so husbands don't say so openly because that wouldn't make any sense. Who would object to loving your wife? What man is going to say, I hate it that I have to love my wife? No man is going to say that out loud. But it's interesting that in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Resentment stands as an obstacle to a man loving his wife. And when it comes to resentment, very few men will be open and honest and transparent about that. But quite often, men are resentful towards their wives. Sometimes men are more inclined to resent their wives than to love them. Why? We could probably give a host of reasons, a long list of reasons for that. Sometimes men are intimidated by their wife. Sometimes they feel inferior to her, which is why men will say things like, well, they're just so much more godly, so much more spiritual, so much better. You know, I married up. We all say that. <clears throat> we know that we should be leading, but our wives don't always make it easy. Often don't make it easy. And sometimes they make it hard. And perhaps the biggest reason men resent their wives is that wives often stand in the way of a man loving himself and living a self-absorbed life. Men are famous lovers of their own selves. We have a legendary ability to meet our own needs and to look out for number one. But when we get home, you know, there she is again, reminding us that the kitchen faucet still needs to be repaired. And where have you been all night? And could you put the phone down and just talk to me? Women sin against these commands by their natural inclination towards resisting their husband and his leadership. We call it rebellion. Men sin against these commands by their natural inclination towards passivity and self-centeredness. Marital problems are resolved when we repent and embrace God's instructions for us in our marriage. And I stand before you this morning as a sinner preaching to other sinners, not as a superior preaching to inferiors. I have my own shortcomings and failures and Anytime I approach this message or this kind of message, I'm reminded again of the faults and failures. I preach it not because I've mastered any of these things, but because I am under authority. I must preach what God says in his word. So I won't be preaching to you my example this morning or telling you all the wonderful ways that I I'm a great husband to my wife. Because that kind of message isn't going to go very far. But I will be preaching to you what God says in his word. 
A Christ-honoring marriage is a marriage in which both husband and wife seek together to accomplish God's purpose for their marriage. By each one, husband and wife together, rightly fulfilling the role that God has given them in his word, in their marriage. Here's what I mean. God created marriage as the primary way that a man exercises dominion in our world. God made man to exercise dominion, to rule in the world, to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. God intends for the whole world to be brought under the authority of man. But this can only be accomplished by men and women who are serious about following God's instructions in their marriage. God made men to rule in this world, thus wives are commanded to follow the lead of their husband and to support them in their work, to encourage them in it, to help them accomplish that. God made wives to help their husbands rule in the world, thus Husbands are commanded to love their wives by setting the agenda for the family and seeing to it that the agenda is followed. As I preach, I want to draw your attention to the picture of marriage presented in Ephesians 5. Then I have a few points on the practice of marriage. And finally, I intend to present the challenge of marriage Let's begin with marriage as a picture here. Paul says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, I can't explain to you all the ways that our marriages picture Christ and the church. I can't exhaust that subject. I I don't know that I can even comprehensively explain it, but but I know this. Our marriages picture Christ and the church because the Bible says that they do. Now, we either are telling the truth about Christ and the church in our marriages or we are telling lies about Christ and the church in our marriages. But we are speaking about Christ and the church by the way we conduct ourselves in our marriages. I know that God has chosen marriage to be the earthly reference point, the one earthly relationship that explains this heavenly relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage. Maybe that's why Satan attacks our marriages so viciously, so relentlessly in this day. Our marriages speak of Christ and the church. We need to understand this before we go any further in this message. You should be concerned. If you honor the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be concerned that your marriage is speaking the truth, that you are not in your marriage bearing false witness against your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we should be concerned about this. Our Lord Jesus Christ, now understand this, because I'm I'm here going to try to explain to you a little of the way our marriage resembles and really shows, displays the marriage between Christ and his church. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ is establishing his kingdom in our world. He is, as the, the great, the ultimate man, he is subduing the earth and having dominion over it. And his bride, the church, is helping him to accomplish that, supporting him in that. That's why we speak about um, evangelizing, witnessing, winning souls to Christ. We keep always in front of you that what we are doing, our privilege is to participate with God in the work of bringing sinners to redemption. So that's what the church, the relationship between Christ and the church is. The church is solely committed to the mission of Jesus Christ in our world. Even so, wives are committed, godly wives who honor God, are committed to supporting their husband in his work of subduing the world. That's it in a nutshell. Our marriages ought to follow this pattern of helpful companionship as husbands set out to rule in the world and wives support them and encourage them in this work. Now, how do we honor God then in our marriages? Before I answer that, I should say that honoring God in your marriage is far more important than any other objectives, any other goals that you might have in your marriage. Honoring God comes first. It comes before anything else that you have as a goal. It's more important than having dinner ready. It's more important than taking out the trash. It's more important than paying the bills. But if we honor God in our marriage, of course we'll have dinner ready. We'll take out the trash and we'll pay the bills. We will do that. But I'm saying that honoring God is the motivation, the reason, the purpose in all of that. So how do we honor God in our marriage? When our marriage paints a faithful picture of Christ and the church, then our marriages honor Jesus Christ. Now, everything we say here about husbands and wives and their relationship to each other has some kind of mystical parallel to the relationship between Christ and the church. I could go farther and say this, that the way that husbands and wives live together according to knowledge, as the Bible says it, live together to the glory of God, to the extent that husbands and wives do that, to that extent, the church is supporting and encouraging Christ in his work bringing his kingdom into this world. The church succeeds or fails on the backs of our marriages. We need to understand that. We can't describe or explain every parallel. The Bible calls it a mystery. This is a great mystery, Paul said. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. We can't, we can't speak exhaustively of these things, I don't know that we can speak comprehensively of these things, but we ought to always be thinking about the way my marriage is contributing to our church, encouraging, strengthening our church. 
so that our church is being a help, meet, fit for the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this should double the concern we feel for our marriages. It should not diminish that concern. We should all be concerned about our marriages. But also we should be concerned for the testimony we bear before the world. The truth we tell about Christ and the church. Or the lies that we're telling. Vicious lies in some cases about Christ and the church. Let's consider then marriage in practice. It's become customary and I'm ashamed to say that I have been a participant in this. It's become customary to hammer the men and give the ladies a pass. But I, I don't believe this is biblical. I did it. I don't believe I should do this. Rather, we should raise before each, husbands and wives, men and women, their duty before the Lord and urge faithfulness to that duty. So, God starts out in the instructions here in Ephesians 5, starts with the ladies, and then goes to the men, and so will I. Wives, God commands you to submit to your husbands and to reverence them. Now, it is not submitting to your husband if you resent being told, resent their leadership, resent their instructions. That's not, you can submit without reverencing and you're disobedient. You can reverence without submitting and you're disobeying. Peter points to Sarah's example in 1 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, notice what Peter said, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. This is how the wife honors God in her marriage. This is the way she shows that she trusts God. She displays her trust in God by the way she submits to and reverences and obeys her husband. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Referring, in other words, to him as the head, the leader in their home. God doesn't tell wives to submit because their husbands are superior. Your husband may not have earned this. It's a popular movement among some Christians right now to uh, push the idea that respect has to be earned, not demanded. I disagree. I disagree entirely. Husbands and wives, God has given commands about this. Wives, you are not to say to your husband, you're going to have to earn that respect before I give it to you because God has told you to give it. To withhold it is to disobey, disobey him. The same thing for parents. 
Now, there was this uh, mother on Facebook who was putting out this garbage that, you know, respect is earned and not uh, demanded. And so talking to parents, so parents, you're not to demand respect from your children, but rather your children should just, you know, if you are respectable, then they will respect you. I've had five kids. I can tell you with absolute certainty that they don't work that way. They don't work that way. You, you have a responsibility to teach them and train them and to demand that they respect you because God said to children, obey your parents in the Lord. <clears throat> God tells you to submit not because he's superior to you, but because he is your husband. That's why you're to submit to him. And because he's your husband, you are to submit to him the way the church submits to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Now, I don't know about you, but if I go into a church that is clearly operating contrary to the word of God, not following the word of God, not preaching the word of God, not living in submission to the word of God, not operating according to God's word. If they have no regard for the word of God, I have no business going there. I have no desire to, to, to attend a church like that. The first thing that we should look for when we look for a church should always be, is it in line with the word of God? Is it following the word of God in action and attitude in priority and so on? But this is also the way that we should evaluate wives, evaluate how we're doing in our marriage. God made your husband the head and your relationship to God as well as to your husband requires that you reverence him and submit to him and obey him and honor him, calling him Lord. So this requires three things of wives then. First, wives, you must love your husband. That's part of submitting to him and reverencing him is to love him. Titus 2.4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Second, you must honor your husband as your head. At its most basic level, this means that you should never speak disrespectfully about him or to him. You should not, if you are to reverence your husband, then you are not to speak disrespectfully about him to other people or to him. You should respect him in his work. That's also included in this. Respect the work that he's doing. Respect him in his role in your home. Respect him in the way he provides, in the ways that he loves you. And conversely, husbands have a God-given need to be respected, especially by their wives. Now, wives, <clears throat> you think of the way you want to be secure in your husband's love. You don't want there to be any question. His loyalty, his faithfulness, his commitment to you. You want to be secure in his love. You have, in fact, a God-given design feature, desire 
to be secure in your husband's love. <clears throat> your husband, wives, understand. Your husband has a God-given design feature need to be respected by you. Respected in their work. Respected in their leadership. <clears throat> that need for respect that your husband has rises to the same level as your need for love and security. This is a practical way that a wife helps her husband in his work. When a husband knows that his wife is behind him, supporting him, admiring the work that he does, encouraging him when he falls short that he can do it, believing in him, giving him the encouragement and respect that he needs. This is part of what, I mean, listen, God, when God created the woman, he created her, he said, because it was not good that man should be alone. Because man alone is going to feel some insecurities that a wife is supposed to meet. <clears throat> Simple words for wives to say to their husbands. That's great work. What you just did there, that's amazing. I'm impressed. That was a great idea. Thank you for the way you provide. Thank you for being such a good husband to me. Now I'm just looking out at faces. I'm reading the faces and I'm seeing just all kinds of awkwardness. Like, oh, the husbands are like, I don't need that. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need it for a praise for approval. I, I just go my way. And the wives are looking around like, I can't say that. I'm not going to say that to him. It's awkward, Pastor. I mean, the person you are the most intimate with in the world, you can't say something as simple, compliment, word of encouragement. That's awkward. That's troubling. That's troubling that we would see that as weird. I don't know. I just, you know, I mean, we're happy to get compliments. We like to get compliments. But for a wife to compliment her husband in his work? I mean, you know, I saw a thing on Twitter this week where people think that's degrading. That would be degrading if wives talked to the, the men that way. Said, man, you look really good today. That would be degrading somehow. That's how upside down we are in our world. But I'm saying to you that we also have to be aware of the way that the culture around us infiltrates into our mind, shapes our mind, shapes our expectations, makes us think that we can't do that. I can't do that. No, your husband, the biggest cheerleader in your husband's fan club should be his wife. That shouldn't be controversial to say that. Now you might say, well, yeah, but my husband, he's got like nothing in his fan club. He doesn't have a fan club. He has, in fact, a reverse fan club. Well, you know, I mean, 
since I'm up here preaching, I'll just assign the responsibility for that because every man can do it. Every man can do it if he has a fan club of one, his wife. She should be on his side. She should be on his side. Third, wives, you must obey him. And here's where we start pulling out all the odd scenarios, you know, the what ifs. If the teacher leaves the class and on the way out the door says to the class, now you're to stay in your seats until I come back to dismiss you. There's always going to be one student who raises their hand and says, what if there's a tornado? What if there's a tsunami? If a flood, if the building collapses, do we have to stay in our seat? So ladies, there are, of course, exceptional cases. I'm just looking out here thinking probably your husband is not going to be the one. Wives, obey your husband. If an exceptional case comes up, you'll know it when you see it. In Sarah, we find a wonderful example. Think of, think of her husband. Abraham the imperfect. It was not his perfections, but his position in her life that made Sarah honor and obey him. Moving on then to husbands. Husbands, God commands you to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Keep in mind the end goal. To exalt the Lord by ruling in the world. The Christian home and family is God's tool for cultivating the world. The way men rule in our world. In fact, um, this is what God has given us to do. When God told man to subdue the earth and have dominion over it, before he said that, he said, be fruitful and multiply. So the way a man is ruling, subduing in our world is by fruitful marriage, bringing children into the world. Michael Foster, in his book, It's Good to Be a Man, says, manhood is ultimately about a man building God's house by building his own. So a man is seeking to build his house, to raise his children, a godly seed to send them out as arrows from the hand of a mighty man so that they will also marry and raise up a godly seed and the kingdom of God will spread that way. The Christian home and family is God's tool for cultivating the world, for subduing the world. God's way for man to rule in the world. God intended that the man should then in the home, that the man should set the agenda and see that that agenda is followed in his home. Of course, a godly man is going to strive to set a godly agenda for his home. He's going to see to it that in his home, God is honored, his commandments are followed and obeyed in his home. The agenda must be Christ-centered and aim particularly at the spiritual maturing of his family, of his children. It must seek to establish the dominion of Jesus Christ 
in the hearts of his wife and of his children. A man should never disregard the needs or desires of his wife in establishing that agenda. He's not a one-man show. He is married. They too shall be one flesh. And so there should be lots of discussion and conversation about the agenda that is being set and modifications as needed. But a man has the responsibility to set that agenda in the home. He should also carefully avoid the common pitfall of passivity, letting her take the lead in these things. And this is what men do. Women are more godly. Women are more spiritual. Women are superior to men. So we let them set the spiritual agenda in the home. That's why I say that kind of preaching is garbage, unbiblical, unworthy of a pulpit. It gives men a pass for sitting back passively, letting the wife take the spiritual lead in the home. Understand that in this effeminate age, men commonly do what do what they do either to get a woman's approval or to avoid her disapproval. And if I talk about it here, right here, I think the men will recognize this, that we commonly err in this way. We don't want to be embarrassed in front of women. We want women to applaud us. We want women to approve us. And so it motivates us to do things that are not exactly obedient to the word of God. Because what women like, ladies, I know some of you, I know you, so I know you're going to be offended by this, but I'm going to say it anyway. What women like in general in the world, I am stereotyping because I know we have some godly women in this room. But generally speaking, ladies like nice. They want people to be nice. Just be nice and let's don't fight. And so men hold back. They don't want to say something that might offend. That, by the way, is the explanation for the wokeness in the corporate in corporate America, right there. Because the, the wokeness has hung on to the skirts of the women as they have risen in the ranks. All right? We've got women in charge everywhere. We, that's what we promote. That's what we exalt now. And the result of it is that we, nobody can say anything that might be offensive unless we're going to offend those angry white men. We'll offend them happily. But it's got to be nice, nice, nice. And so as a result of that, men don't want to be too firm, too strong, right? So we make jokes. You know, we know who the boss is, right? We say that kind of thing, which is not funny, by the way. It's not funny. But we laugh, we snicker, because that we're, supposed to, we're supposed to act like meek and mild men. Not there to ruffle any feathers. But men, 
God has given you a duty, a responsibility to set the agenda in your home for the good of your home and your family. You don't just give your wife the credit card so she can go out and go shopping. I work so she can shop. This is how we joke, and it's wrong. It's wrong. But men go along with the joke. Because we don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want any disapproval from anybody. Men, you aren't loving your wife if you lead this way. If you're concerned about approval. But this is where the self-sacrifice comes in to play here. Self-giving love. A man, in order to lead his wife and build his home, must be willing to take risks, including the risk that your wife won't like your decision. And that's a risk. Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? But ladies, think about that. Because if your husband is afraid to make decisions, because you, when he makes a decision that you don't like, it's war, the silent kind of war, of course, but it's war. That would be evidence that you're not obeying the word of God here. <clears throat> you must love Christ, husbands, love Christ enough to do what is best for your family. Understanding that that won't always be what your family wants you to do. The modern woman wants a husband to be an equal partner. This is the way we think today. Husband and wife, wives are coached openly. When you look for a husband, find a husband who will be an equal partner. Because what we value today is autonomy. The husband lives his life. The wife lives her life. They live in the same house. But she does her thing and he does his thing. It's considered enlightened, sophisticated when men agree to that arrangement. And so in order to gain a woman's approval, a man must not interfere with her ambitions. He must give her autonomy. He must not be the alpha male in the, the home. I mean, we're destroying the alpha males, right? He must settle into the cozy role of family pet. He's got to be a beta. We've got to be a beta nowadays. But for a man to be a beta in his home is to disobey God. Because God has commanded you to love your wife. It's not loving for you to be the family pet. If you passively allow her to set the agenda so that you hand autonomy over to her, you are not loving her the way Christ loved the church. Jesus never handed the agenda over to the church. He assigned it to the church. He gave clear instruction about it. 
we must lead our wives lovingly to follow Christ's plan in the family. And we must love her faithfully, regardless of how well she follows us or supports our leadership. We must love her with a love that is indifferent towards her merits. God's love for sinners can hardly be compared to the love of a sinful husband for a sinful wife. Two specific instructions are given to husbands. First, love your wife the way you love yourself. The 28th verse uses the word ought. That's a very insistent word, ought. It literally means that men are obligated to love their wives the way they love their own bodies. You know, if I go to scrub my feet and my feet protest, I don't stop. I still scrub them. If I, you know, haven't eaten in a couple days and I know I better eat, in the first bite, my stomach re rebels, I still feed it because I do what's best for my body. And husbands must do the same for their wives. Paul really presses the point. The second instruction for loving your wife comes from the example of the cross. Men are to sacrifice themselves, which means that they're going beyond loving their wives as they love themselves. They're to love them, their wives as they love themselves, but then they're supposed to do it in a self-sacrificing way. They're to go beyond that. You're to give yourself, to sacrifice yourself for your wife. A wife feels most secure in her husband's love when he's making decisions that will bless her in the end. And the longer he does that, the more confident she becomes in his love. And hopefully, wives will become more confident in your decisions and express that confidence as well. Say it. So here are some practical things for husbands to do. First of all, initiate conversations with your wife <clears throat> about your family. Bring up subjects about the family with your wife. Bring up decisions that need to be made and guide the discussion so that a right decision can be made. Secondly, when necessary, pull your wife aside privately and show her an area of her life that needs to be strengthened or corrected. Don't be harsh when you do it. Be patient, be tender, but be firm and do it. Thirdly, build your wife in her faith. Read the Bible with her or read good books that strengthen you both spiritually. Mature her in Christ. This is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5 verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. To be continually applying the word of God to her needs, her spiritual needs. That requires you to be having conversations with her so that you can see what is in her heart. So that you can see what her burdens are, what her concerns are, what her fears are. 
And then you can apply scripture appropriately to her in a helpful way that will encourage and strengthen her in her heart. That's what the Bible is teaching you to do. And fourthly, make it abundantly clear to your wife that you treasure her, that you value what she does in your home. And fifthly, listen to your wife so that you'll know what parts of God's word she needs for encouragement, for strength, for comfort or confidence, and then minister the word of God to her. Finally, I want to talk about the challenge of marriage, but I don't think I need to say much. Because just what I've talked about here this morning, you know, this is a challenge. It's a challenge. Look, many of us have been in church for a long time. These are not new things to us. And yet, when it's preached, we get like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Let's just maintain the status quo. Marriage is a challenge to husbands and wives in the church. Be a model of a Christian marriage. And by your marriage, speak the truth about Christ and the church. This is not a challenge to husbands to go buy flowers or chocolate for their wives. That's not what I'm saying. And the things that I'm speaking of can't be fixed with chocolate or flowers. And some of the husbands are really happy to hear this. because I didn't want to buy that anyway. <clears throat> This is not a challenge for wives to go home and bake some cookies for your husband. There have been many, many disobedient, rebellious wives who have made cookies for their husbands over the years. And nothing superficial will fix these things or bring us into alignment with the word of God. This is a challenge to husbands to love your wives in ways that she can see visible, tangible ways. And a challenge to wives to really honor and obey your husband in, in ways that he can tell, that he can see. Is it tough? Is this difficult? Is this hard? Sin makes it hard. Sin makes it hard. Yet God's grace is sufficient. In most troubled marriages, the husband points fingers at the wife and the wife points a finger at the husband. Let's don't do that. Let's examine ourselves. Husbands, you examine yourself. Wives, you examine yourself. Husbands, don't say, well, you know, I wouldn't be this way if she wasn't that way. Now you be the way that you ought to be. You be Christ to the church. And wives, you be the church to Christ. Listen, we, on Sundays, we open the word of God and we see what Christ says to his church. We're not sending, we're not preaching to Jesus. Jesus is preaching to us. And I'm not saying that to say, husbands, go home, sit your wife down on the couch and preach her a sermon. There are a lot of assurances and reassurances in the word of God that God is faithful to you and loves you and calls those things that are not as though they are. We can follow this example. 
the things done in secret, the Bible says, shall be made known. Christ's love produces glory in us as a church. Our love, the love of a husband for his wife, which is a thing done in secret. But it will be known in the glory of the wife. And when a man is respected at home, he has the confidence and spiritual backbone that he needs to go out into the world and conquer. And that's what God made men to do. Last night we were watching um, Tortured for Christ, Wormbrand. And at the beginning, he and his wife were sitting up and listening to the preachers pander to the Soviet government. And Wormbrand said to his wife, this is a sham. This is a shame. But if I go and say something, they will arrest me and you will not have me. And his wife looked at him and said, I did not marry a coward. She said that. And I thought about that because it fits so well with what I'm talking about. What I'm preaching here is not that we're to go home and have an adversarial relationship with each other. What the Bible is saying here is not to increase the hostilities in the home. If we'll obey this, we will be a true team. You too will be one flesh. A husband going forth to conquer and a wife That's why I married you. That's what I want. And when we do that, Christ is honored in our midst.